Chapter 5 I called Hawksworth as I pulled out of the Cat's Meow parking lot and headed back toward Fawcettville. So, what can you tell me about Ed Nash? He doesn't work for me anymore. I can't tell you anything more than he's from Chillicothe and lives in one of the campgrounds. You want to tell me why you lied to me about not seeing your daughter? You said you hadn't seen her in five days, but Tony Repetto told me you came to get Ed Nash after he beat up that stripper. I'd call that a flat-out lie. Chase was silent. I continued my questions. Did Ed Nash say anything to you to make you believe Sarah's life was in danger when you picked him up that night? Is that the real reason you hired me? That's part of it. He sounded defeated. I had no idea where Sarah was working until I walked into the cat's meow to get Nash. I saw her and she recognized me, but we didn't speak. I couldn't have even if she said something to me. I was too shocked. Then Sarah ran to the back to help that other girl. Uh, I mean, well, you know, and I got Nash out of there. That had to be embarrassing, seeing your daughter working as a stripper. He sighed. I hoped... I had hoped after she sobered up, she would leave that life behind. I hoped she wouldn't hang around those people anymore. Didn't it strike you that the body in the trunk of Sarah's car could be Tommy Lynn, the stripper she took to the emergency room? She took her to the emergency room? What did you expect her to do? Tony Repetto doesn't run the kind of business where first responders are exactly welcome, at least not while they're in uniform. He's not going to call the squad. What else would she do? I want to know what Ed Nash said to you as you took him to the campground. I need to know every word he said. And don't lie to me this time. Your daughter's life depends on us getting to her before one of Pablo Hernandez's henchmen does. Chase was silent again for a moment. Nash was angry, real angry, that this girl, or what he thought was a girl, would try to con him like that. He told me she went for his wallet first. He said he said something like, no, I get a little of this before you get any of that. That was when he said he grabbed her by the crotch. Did Nash threaten to do anything else? You have to tell me. He said that if he ever saw that thing again, he'd kill him. I dropped him off at his camper, handed him what I owed him in pay, and told him he was fired. He was very drunk, and he was very angry, so I didn't take him seriously. I guess I should have. Oil field work was probably about as steeped in testosterone as the police force. If it got around that Nash got a lap dance from someone who wasn't all woman, he'd never hear the end of it. Beating up Tommy Lynn and accusing her of grabbing his wallet first, if that's what really happened, would keep his masculinity intact, at least in front of his friends. Making Repetto's bouncers forcibly remove him from the bar probably ensured he appeared to be the victim of a cruel hoax and that the transgender stripper bleeding in a back room had it coming. Yeah, I guess you should have. I need to know where Nash is living. If he was a regular at the cat's meow, it's possible he knows where Sarah is. He had a camper trailer parked at the Heavenly Hills campground. A lot of my men live there. I said thank you as I ended the phone call, but I sure as hell didn't mean it. The Heavenly Hills campground was the opposite direction from Repetto's strip joint. I made a U-turn in the middle of the road and headed out to the county. I wanted to chase down Ed Nash before I contacted Joe Barnes and let him know whose body that was in the trunk of Sarah's car. Ten minutes later, I pulled into the park. 
It wasn't a bad place for something that had sprung up as a result of the fracking boom. The main campground was about a quarter mile back in the woods behind a modest prefab house that I assumed belonged to the owner. I followed signs that said speed limit 8 MPH and all visitors must register at the office until I came to a small log cabin. Over the front porch was a painted wooden sign. Welcome to Heavenly Hills Campground. We are glad you're here. A neon sign blinked open in the window. Behind a log cabin, the road looped around a swimming pool, a playground, and a bathhouse. Campers and recreational vehicles of various sizes and conditions filled each space. A bell above the door jingled as I entered the office. It was filled with the usual things campers might need. Marshmallows, toilet paper, coffee, paper towels, assorted groceries, aluminum foil. In another corner, a reach-in freezer was filled with ice cream treats. A wizened old man, wearing an engineer's cap and chewing ferociously on a wad of tobacco, was behind the counter. Can I help you? Yeah, I'm looking for one of your residents. A guy by the name of Ed Nash. I handed the old man one of my business cards. He looked at it, squinting. I wish I could help y'all. Nash pulled out of here a couple days ago. Left me high and dry, too. Owes me a month's lot rent. Did he leave after he got fired from full-bore drilling? Is that what happened? I don't know. I was driving my quad around to pick up the trash, and I saw his camping space was empty. I got back to the office and asked one of the girls if he had paid before he left. They said he hadn't paid either one of them. The spot was empty when they came into work. He must have pulled out in the middle of the night. I wouldn't have noticed it, what with all these frack rats working all hours, driving them big old pickup trucks in and out of here. Is it possible that he could still be around? Or do you think he could have headed back home? The old man picked up a battered paper coffee cup from below the counter and spat into it. Could be either. He could be gone. He could have driven down the road to another campground. An awful lot of companies looking to hire folks. I would assume a jerk like Nash might be able to land another job pretty quickly. Thanks. If you happen to see him, give him that business card. I'm looking to talk to him. The old man nodded and spit into the paper cup again. Once I get my money out of him, he's all yours. I got back to the excursion and headed back to the office. Things were starting to come together. Nash just might be the type who could get pissed enough to hang around for two days just to track down Tommy Lynn. The timeline fit. Mary, Margaret, and I were with Sarah in the hotel room from Monday through Wednesday. We drop her off that afternoon. She goes into work, just as Tony Rapetto says. While at the club, Tommy Lynn gets assaulted by Nash, and Sarah leaves with her, presumably to take her to the ER. What if she hadn't gone to the ER? What if, for whatever reason, Tommy Lynn didn't want to go? It could happen. An assault victim showing up in the ER would lead to a police report, which could lead to the possibility of Tommy Lynn's true identity being unmasked in the local newspaper's police blotter. Like many residents, looking for a good laugh, I poured over that column every morning to see some of the dumber things local residents did. A lot of them were standards like barking dog complaints, but some of the really ignorant stuff made me glad I'd ended my police career when I did. I cringed as I thought about a report of a transgender male reported he was assaulted at the Cat's Meow strip club, appearing in the newspaper. Fortunately or unfortunately, I'd never seen anything about an assault at Rapetto's place. It was entirely possible, for that reason, Tommy Lynn refused to go to the hospital.
I returned to the possible timeline of events, as best I could put things together. Hawksworth picks up Nash at the club, sees his daughter working there, and as they drive back to the Heavenly Hills campground, he hears Nash threaten to kill Tommy Lynn. He fires Nash, who leaves with his camper in the middle of the night. Flush with the cash from his last paycheck, Nash might just park his camper somewhere else and then prowl Fawcettville with the intent to wait and watch until he sees Tommy Lynn again. It had to be Friday about mid-morning before he saw Tommy Lynn, who was most likely in Sarah's company. Sarah wasn't the sharpest tool in the toolbox by a long shot, but it's possible. Beneath that dull exterior, she was trying to do right by Tommy Lynn. Maybe Sarah let Tommy Lynn stay at her apartment while he was recovering. Maybe she was driving Tommy Lynn someplace when Nash saw them. If that's the timeline, what happened next? Did Nash follow them? How did they get possession of Sarah's car? What type of confrontation was there? And what happened to Sarah? I called her cell phone again and again and got no answer. I needed to find out what kind of shape Tommy Lynn was in when Sarah brought her to the hospital, or if Tommy Lynn came into the hospital at all. Josie Adario worked as a nurse at Fawcettville General Hospital ER. Even better, she was a friend of my youngest sister, Katie. Maybe Josie could help me out. Lucky for me, Josie was at the coffee bar in the hospital atrium as I walked in. Her blue scrubs set off her tall, thin frame and the curly black hair pinned on the top of her head. Before Katie left the hospital to work at a doctor's office, Josie had been one of the junior nurses on the ER staff. They'd become fast friends over the years and watched Josie marry an EMT, have a son, and deal with her own tragedies. Crow's feet were beginning to show around the corners of Josie's big, dark eyes, which sparkled when she saw me. Nico! She reached out her hand to clasp mine. How are you? You doing okay? She treated Gracie with sensitivity and professionalism when I had to rush her to the hospital on the days before her death. Of all people, she knew the pain I was going through. Josie had been working in the emergency room when an ambulance brought in the last two people she wanted to see. Her husband, Jimmy Adario, and her seven-year-old son, Rocco. Jimmy had been walking Rocco home from school when a drunk driver jumped the curb and struck them. Jimmy didn't survive. It was years of surgery and therapy before Rocco, now 15, would recover. She never remarried. I kissed her knuckles before I answered. Some days are harder than others, but yeah, I'm getting by. She lay her hand on my cheek, just like Katie would do. It'll be a while, Nico. But it does get better. What brings you here? Visiting someone? No, actually, I came to see you. She arched her dark Italian eyebrows, but didn't speak. I pulled her over toward a potted plant in the corner of the atrium. I need to ask you a favor. It's about a case. I'm not sure how much I can help you. There are privacy laws, you know. I'm not looking to read somebody's chart. I just need to know if someone came in Wednesday who was a little... unique. What do you mean? Transgender. Maybe in the process of moving from male to female. She was working as a stripper at the Cat's Meow when she was assaulted Wednesday by an unhappy customer. Josie grimaced. I don't want to know the details of how that came about. Yeah, well, another stripper would have brought him or her in for treatment. 
I've been hired by that stripper's father to find her. She's gone missing. Josie thought for a few moments. I didn't work Wednesday night. Rocco had a JV baseball game. Let me ask around. I can't give you the details of the case, but I can guarantee the staff would be chattering about that patient. I've never seen a transgender patient come through here in all the years I've been here. Now, cross-dressers, that's another thing. She smiled devilishly as if she knew more secrets than she let on. I need to know pretty quickly. The daughter I'm looking for has vanished, and her car was found this morning on fire with a dead body in the trunk. The body hasn't been definitively identified, but it's not the daughter. It might be the transgender stripper. We don't know yet. Yeah, I heard the scanner online. That one went straight to the morgue, but probably not for long. Like a lot of small towns, the morgue was in the hospital basement. Doc Lamberto would do autopsy basics, like finding bullets inside a victim's skull or stab wounds slashing vital organs. Anything more involved was shipped off to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations field lab in Richfield, just north of Akron. Let me know as soon as you can. Here's my card. Call my cell when you hear something. Sure will. Josie smiled at me and slipped my card into her pocket as she headed back toward the emergency room. I looked at my watch. It was just after five o'clock. I'd spent the whole day chasing leads. After checking in at the office, I'd head home. Probably order a pizza and spend the night searching the internet to see what else I could find about Sarah Hunter Pelfrey. If she was in danger, I couldn't take the weekend off. I had to keep looking. <laughs>